Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Rosie Candethel, a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. And I'm the Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. Our co-host, Tim McNinch, is off this week. So, Rosie, you're up to bat. The fifth and final Sunday of Lent, March 26, 2023. First reading is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Dem bones, dem bones, dem. Dry bones, dem bones, dem bones, dem. Dry bones. The iconic and frankly spooky preaching moment in which the prophet Ezekiel is told to speak God's word to a field strewn with human bones. And they say, hey, what's up, right? (laughs) They do. They get right up and say hello. So we have what might look like a full-fledged zombie apocalypse for a moment here. (laughs) It should probably make our hair stand up on edge in horror, as with the prophet, we're forced to watch bones rattle up from the ground and then come together as step-by-step muscle and flesh and then skin return, but no breath. Whole bodies, but without life. So zombies, maybe. (laughs) At least until Ezekiel prophecies to the breath in Hebrew, right? So we've used this word a lot, ruach, which is such an important word, also translated as wind and spirit elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. And suddenly, as Ezekiel preaches, all of these once dead people become alive again a massive, uncountable, huge army of people. And in the Hebrew, there's a rare construction here in verse 10. So uh, let me read this carefully. So, So a very, very great force. This is a moving and poignant image that both imagines renewed life after destruction for the nation, but preserves in my view, the horrors of exile, the trauma Mm. of suffering and the loss of war. So this is probably the most famous of Ezekiel's prophecies. We've probably all heard different sermons on this text. And while early Jewish and Christian interpreters alike read it as a prophecy of the eventual resurrection of the dead, this is unlikely what Ezekiel the prophet himself meant. And so this text is pretty clear in verse 11 that these dry bones are a symbol of the people of Israel in exile. Its people are torn apart and scattered in the Babylonian conquest of Judah during the 8th century BCE, and the dramatic, slow return to life in stages to these long-dead scattered bones through the work of prophecy, the act of preaching, of remembering, symbolizes the restoration of the nation to its homeland. Dead bodies get raised back to life in this first reading, and this theme of restored life resounds again in the gospel reading in the raising of Lazarus in John 11. Oh, man, you did that so well, Rosie. Just that like step-by-step walking (laughs) people through so slowly what that would look like, what that would feel like, and what it represented. Like, preachers, if I were you, I would just try to to copy, you know, I mean, don't plagiarize, but like take that and run with it. That was a beautiful way to draw people into that text. And if you do start there, you really get a strong tie-in between the first reading and the gospel reading, the linking between Ezekiel and John 11. So are you are you tipping into the New Testament a little bit this week, Rosie? Yeah, I think I'm doing that again, right? So I've been hawking on the year A sequence of readings during Lent, and I'm going to do that here again on this fifth and final Sunday of the season. I've been seeing that there's a deliberate shape and pattern to the RCL readings, which intentionally highlight the fact that early 
church tradition used the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent for the scrutinies of the candidates for baptism during the Easter Vigil. And I know scrutinies is an odd word for us moderns. It sounds kind of menacing and formal, but it refers more to the prayers and support of the community for initiates to the faith rather than a test of maybe good moral character or knowledge of scripture. In this, the fifth and final Sunday of Lent, we come to a climax in a trilogy of gospel stories about people who responded to Jesus. And the themes of these stories intentionally lead us directly toward the moment of baptism celebrated during the Easter Vigil. So on the third Sunday of Lent, we heard the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, which emphasized the symbolism of water. On the fourth Sunday of Lent, we heard the story of a man born blind who yet was able to see the light of the world, echoing the image of baptism that was traditionally held in the darkness of the Easter Vigil as the community held candles for light. And on this final Sunday of Lent, we hear the story of Lazarus, And the readings this week address death and restored life. The gospel story is long, right? 45 verses. And for that matter, so is the first reading, which clocks in at 14 verses. So there's a lot of scripture this week. But the liturgical context is what holds all of these readings together. And that's what's critical. This is the last Sunday before Passion Week begins. So these themes of suffering, death, restored life all become magnified as the community follows Jesus to the cross over the next week. That's really helpful to see. I love the way you are grounding us in the season of Lent this year. I I love it. I mean, these scripture readings are carrying us toward contemplating not only our baptisms, but also the experiences of Jesus in the week of passion coming up. Right, right. So this is a week that emphasizes both the suffering and horror of death, while also pointing toward the possibility of restored life. And all the readings, just as you've said, are helping us do that, to do that. From Ezekiel 37's dry bones to Psalm 130's poignant cry that begins, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, and underscores the longing watchfulness for God. Romans 8, that reading ends with, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. John 11, the gospel reading, is the culmination as the story of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha flesh out the painfulness of human suffering and death. And twice, John's Jesus is said to be greatly disturbed. He's deeply moved, troubled, and Jesus weeps here at Lazarus's tomb. These are the only gospel passages that depict Jesus having a strong emotional reaction. And that's worth pondering for our congregations. Yeah. So it sounds as though you've got a preaching angle you want to offer that is is weaving these together. What are you suggesting here? Okay. So yes, I think that if you're preaching this week, The overarching goal is to help people enter into Passion Week and prepare themselves for the richness of the Easter Triduum from Holy Thursday, Good Friday, through the silent waiting of the Holy Saturday Vigil until the dawn of Easter's hope. For me, a sermon that truly engages the suffering and horror of death, while also acknowledging the hope and mystery of restored life in God, that's what these scripture readings together evoke and support. And I cannot pass up the chance to talk about John 11 and the two sisters of Lazarus who take lead roles in this passage. So I know we're a first reading podcast, but when do we get to talk about two strong women as they grapple with Jesus over their brother's death? 
oh, we talk about it this week for sure. I can get behind highlighting the stories of women in the Bible. John 11 gives us a two for one in Mary and Martha. So go for it. What do you want to say about them? In the story of Lazarus, a man we are told is a beloved friend of Jesus gets very, very sick. And his desperate sisters, Mary and Martha, send an urgent message to Jesus. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. And it's clear from verse five that Mary, Martha and Lazarus are a family in Bethany who are all beloved friends who have asked urgently for Jesus's help. Nonetheless, Jesus waits two more days before he begins his travel. And by the time Jesus arrives, it's far too late for a healing. Lazarus has been entombed for four days sealed behind a rock, and for all intents and purposes, gone forever from the world of the living. The sisters are bereft, they are heartbroken, confused by Jesus's delay, and more than a little betrayed by his refusal to save their brother from death. In the moment where it mattered most, Jesus wasn't there. I know. I've always found this text so difficult for that reason. And it's one of the reasons that I really struggle with the presentation of Jesus in the book of John, for that matter. I mean, when you draw it out that way, it's really heartbreaking. Right. And I find Jesus's delay to be so hard to feel my way through, but so true to the way many of us have experienced Mm. the seeming silence of God in some of our hardest moments. John doesn't necessarily help dispel or explain that sense of God's absence, but instead affirms that that experience is real. Mm. And I can imagine that many of our listeners have been in this position, praying for God to heal, to save, to change a desperate situation, only to hear, well, nothing from above. The thing that I find valuable to remember is that John is careful to iterate in verse 5 how much Jesus loved Martha, Mm. Mary, and Lazarus. And despite that mutual love and friendship, Jesus does not respond immediately. He doesn't go to their aid. He he waits. And hard as that is, God allows us to suffer, to get sick, even to die. And at the Mm. same time, God loves us. So God's silence, Jesus's absence in the story is not necessarily evidence of a lack of care. God's deep love and friendship are still present all at the same time as Jesus's friends struggle to understand and explain his apparent Mm -hmm. absence. Yeah. You know, I, this is just one of those that I really struggle with. I, that, that paradox of God's loving presence within God's absence. Martin Luther struggled with it a lot too. The, what is it called? The Deus Abscondi, Mm -hmm. the hidden God, the, the time Mm -hmm. when um, you need God the most and God seems inexplicably absent. What's what's sort of delightful about this text is that text does not shy away from that reality at all. In, fa- in fact, it says like, let's take that reality, let's take that experience and let's really draw it out in living, co- you know, living color. So there's a way for folks who've experienced that to really find themselves in this text. Right. It is. It's really underscored here in John 11. The other thing I want to highlight uh, is how Martha and Mary respond when Jesus finally arrives, right? So Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. And these four days are significant because there was a Jewish rabbinic tradition that held that the spirit hovers near the body for three days. Mm. That this is the fourth day dispels hope for a miracle. It is too late, according to tradition. And yet, Look at how Mary and Martha respond to Jesus. Both of them say the exact same thing when he arrives. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
their faith, their unwavering belief in Christ is that he is life. They knew who he was. They understood on a deep level that death would not have come to their house if Jesus had been there. Hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think I would have other words to say to Jesus at this moment. I don't think they'd be very edifying. (laughs) But these sisters, even in the midst of what seems a palpable grief and confusion, they recommit themselves to faith. Martha goes even further. She says, not only do I know that my brother would not have died if you'd come in verse 22, even now, she says, even now, four days after his body's been buried and his spirit has gone, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask him. Now, Jesus responds in the text really carefully. He says, your brother will rise again. That's it. What does he mean? Martha says cautiously in response, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus reveals, ego eimi, I am the resurrection and the life. So he uses that divine formula there as he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks this further question, do you believe this? Mm. Now, just think about what Jesus is asking her. She has lost everything. She has no explanation from Jesus about his absence. And now Jesus asks, do you believe this? And from the midst of her grief and confusion, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the one coming into the world. Martha's confession deserves attention. Now, Peter gets all the glory, right? Peter's confession of faith in John 6 is often the one that's lifted up. (laughs) But Martha's confession is made at her lowest point, at the graveside of her brother. And despite Mm. what she has suffered, she's able to find peace in her faith, enough to now leave Jesus's presence and go find her sister Mary and attempt to reconcile that relationship too. So notice that Martha tells her sister, the teacher's calling for you. Did anyone hear Jesus calling for Mary in this passage? Nope. I think Martha did that because she knew Mary needed a nudge. And I just want to say, I think there's a preaching point too. There are always friends in our lives who remind us that God is still calling to us, that God still wants to know us despite what we've gone through. And that's what Martha was here, a reminder to her sister Mary that God still cared for her. And maybe it was time to go talk to Jesus directly and let out whatever it was that she was holding in. I love this so much. I love what you did with Ezekiel. I love what you're doing here. Like you're just, you're just dwelling in these texts and drawing them out so beautifully, especially because Mary and Martha, when we think Mary and Martha, even that phrase, it comes from the Luke 10 passage where they're at odds competing for Jesus's attention. None of that is on display here. Here in John 11, we see their deep love and respect for one another. And I think that's a really important picture to lift up as well. Right, exactly. So Martha reminds me, and probably you too, of so many women that we know. Yeah. Even when everything's falling apart, they're the women that keep things together. They organize the funeral. They put the casserole together. They manage to keep their feet when everything else is going to pieces. And on the outside, they pull it together. But here we get to see what's inside, her deep heart and feeling in her tenderness toward Mary, her understanding and wisdom in urging her to go to to Jesus. And then there's also Mary, right, who manages one sentence, unable to say anything else before she dissolves into tears, falling at Jesus's feet in grief. But Jesus meets both of them right where they are, cares for them both. And he weeps with Mary. He talks it out with Martha. And only after these exchanges with Martha and Mary does Jesus go to the tomb and then order the stone to be removed, pray aloud to the Father, and order Lazarus to come out. 
So if I were preaching this week, I would not want to diminish the suffering and horror of sickness and death as it's shown in our readings from Ezekiel all the way out to John 11. But I would underscore also God's deep commitment to life and reconciliation within the reality of loss, which is especially evident here in John 11 and the attention that Jesus gives to Martha and Mary as individuals. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Preachers, you've got tons to work with this week, so just enjoy. Thanks, Rosie, for an awesome, awesome work here. Friends, we hope that this has been a helpful conversation for you, too. You can find back episodes of the podcast on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, check out some merchandise or make a donation to support the podcast. We appreciate your support to help keep this resource going. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. How are you using the podcast? What are you finding helpful? You can interact with us on our Facebook page or by sending an email to firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Rachel Wren. And I'm Rosie Candlethal. Thanks for listening and have a great week.